Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is from case number 0208 of the investigative case files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. Today's episode is titled, Love and Loss in the South Pacific. And I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on YouTube or Audio Burst, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcast or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. Stay tuned while we tell you about a humble Alabama farm boy, far from home for the first time, who found love but never learned about a precious gift waiting for him upon his return, a homecoming that was not to be. All of us here at the Foundation want to dedicate this episode to our loyal listeners overseas in New Zealand. On behalf of the thousands of men and women who were stationed on your shores during World War II, Thank you for your overwhelming kindness and hospitality in opening up your homes and your hearts to our American heroes. Today's show is a special tribute just to you. In today's episode, we'll learn about an Alabama farm boy who left the farm during World War II to serve his country. When he enlisted in the Marine Corps, Private William Franklin Cowart had probably never been farther from home than Mississippi. In a faraway land, he became a man, a husband, a father, a hero, and a MIA. Stay tuned while we tell you about the incredible tale of love and loss that continues to this very day on No Home for Heroes. William Franklin Cowart was born in Reform, Alabama. He was known as Bunk to his family and friends. At the time of the 1940 census, Bunk was living with his parents, Lester and Mary Alice Cowart, and four sisters and four brothers on a farm in Beard, Alabama. His father listed his occupation as a farmer, and Bunk was a student who had completed the eighth grade in 1940. Bunk enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserves on 26 September 1942 in Jackson, Mississippi, and was assigned to the rank of private. At the time of his enlistment, he noted his residence as Columbus, Mississippi, and listed his occupation as a student. Private Coward completed all the necessary paperwork to receive U.S. government life insurance, and at that time, he listed his mother as his next of kin. He was just shy of six feet tall, about 71 inches. He weighed 129 pounds, so he was kind of skinny. He about 20 years old, and he had brown hair and brown eyes. His blood type was O, and he wore size 9.5D shoes. Private Cowart listed his religious preference as Protestant. The letter P for Protestant may have been imprinted on his United States Marine Corps identification disc or dog tags. Private Coward had no birthmarks, tattoos, or previous injuries noted in his medical records. 
He did have a one and a half inch scar on his right groin and a one and a half inch scar on his upper left thigh. Private Coward's last recorded dental examination was on 10 June 1943 when his chart noted that he had 10 fillings and cavities, no extractions, and one wisdom tooth present. His most distinctive dental profile was crowns on his upper front teeth. Private Coward completed his basic training with the 2nd Recruit Battalion at the Marine Corps Recruit Base in San Diego, California. On 21 November 1942, Private Cowart was assigned to the 10th Replacement Battalion at Camp Elliott in San Diego. He was shipped overseas to Numea, New Caledonia on 19 January 1943 aboard the transport ship SS President Monroe. He arrived in New Caledonia on 5 February 1943. Six days later, Private Cowart re-embarked aboard the USS President Monroe for transport to Wellington, New Zealand, arriving on Valentine's Day. <laughs> arriving on Valentine's Day for Private Cowart would prove to be an omen. He would find his true love in that land far away from Alabama and Mississippi, far away from the farm country that he knew so well. In New Zealand, Private Cowart was assigned to Battery D, 2nd Weapons Battalion, the 2nd Marine Division. This unit was primarily armed with 37mm anti-tank guns. While in New Zealand, Bunk met a super young 17-year-old girl named Leslie Allison Biggs. Leslie's father was also a farmer, just like Bunk's family back in Alabama. Leslie's family lived in Johnsonville, New Zealand, near Bunk's base at his camp in Wellington. On 12 October 1943, Private Cowart was transferred to C Company 2nd Amphibious Tractor Battalion for training as a crew member of a landing vehicle track, sometimes known as an LVT. Private Cowart's unit was a part of a regiment designated to transport assault marines from the transport ships to the beaches during the invasion of Tarawa. Private Coward was transported from New Zealand to Tarawa on board the USS Sheridan along with the 1st Battalion of 8th Marines. What I forgot to mention to you that was before he was transported to Tarawa, Bunk decided that he and his new love Leslie would get married and they did so. The 8th Marines were designated to land on Red Beach 3 during the invasion of Tarawa. A little bit after 9 o'clock, about 0-17 hours, 0-9-17 hours, on the first morning of the battle, 20 November 1943, 522 officers and men of the 2nd Battalion 8th Marines began their assault against Red Beach 3 on Tarawa. They were in multiple waves commanded by Major Jim Crow and were aboard an assortment of both LVTs and Higgins boats or landing craft. Approximately 500 yards from the beach, the landing craft, the Higgins boats, crashed into the reef surrounding Tarawa and found that there was not sufficient water for their craft to float over the reefs. The slower-moving amphibious tractors of Private Cowart's unit were able to crawl over the reef with their tank-like tracks, but they were under heavy, concentrated fire from Japanese 70mm anti-boat guns on their left flank and other weapons, including artillery, and multiple machine gun positions. 
Members of Private Cowart's Unit, C Company, 2nd Amphibious Tractor Battalion, were dispersed throughout several other assault battalions, and once they discharged their original loads of, load of Marines on the beaches, they were designed to return to the reef and obtain other Marines from stranded Higgins boats landing craft and take them to the beach. Most of the LVTs that were not immediately destroyed made multiple transmit transits from the reef to the beaches and could have landed on any of the other two beaches. Private Cowart specifically was assigned as the driver or maybe the assistant driver of LVT number 23. The specific circumstances of Private Cowart's death are known. According to one of our historians associated with the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation, Private Cowart was the driver of LVT 23 which stalled trying to climb the seawall on the beach at Tarawa. Our historian said, I know that LVT number 23 was on the USS Sheridan, and that Major Crow set up his command post behind LVT 23. Major Crow was asked about an individual Marine who had been killed in action near the LVT, and the name was given to the Major as Private Cowart. Private Cowart's death is also cited in the 2nd Marine Division Anthology. Quote, the first dead man I saw upon reaching Red Beach 3 was an Alabama farm boy, Private William Franklin Cowart, age 20. He lay on the sand beside his damaged LVT. Per another author, he said, quote, Beside the Amtrak, a dead Marine lay on the sand. There was a wide streak of blood on the Amtrak indicating that the dying man had bled a lot. A big, red, mustached Marine Major, that would be Major Crow, walked over and said, Who is he? An assistant Amtrak driver said, Sir, he's another Marine. His name is Coward. He was just 20 years old, and he just married a girl in Wellington. Well, after gazing upon Private Coward for a brief moment, Major Crow said, Well, cover him up. And then he went right back to determining his course in the battle. He asked the Marine, will this Amtrak run? No, sir, said the assistant driver. We've tried to start it, but I guess the starter was knocked out when Private Cowart was killed. The location and description of Private Cowart's death correlates with many of the details showing a dead Marine in one of the many photos that the Foundation has that were taken at the time of the battle. Much research has been conducted attempting to identify the dead Marine in the photos that we have near the LVT, LVT-23. We've located multiple photographs showing a Marine lying on the beach, and our analysis and comparison of these photographs has really kind of remained inconclusive as to whether or not the deceased Marine in the photos next to Private Cowart's LVT-23 is actually Private William Franklin Cowart. Private Cowart's United States Marine Corps casualty card notes that he was killed in action on 20 November 1943 and lists his cause of death as gunshot wounds. The casualty card lists Private Cowart as buried on Basio Island, which was the name at the time for Tarawa. There's a memorial grave located in Cemetery 33 for Private Cowart, but it was not the site of an actual burial. What Private Cowart did not know, as he lay dying in the sands of Tarawa, 
that his new wife back in New Zealand was pregnant. Bunk's wife had a baby daughter after his death, and the daughter was still alive when the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation received a request from Bunk's family to investigate his case in 2016. Private Cowart's official military personnel file contains a request by his widow to the American Red Cross in New Zealand that was forwarded to the Marine Corps on 26 May 1944. The letter stated, quote, It is requested that the blue and silver butterfly ring and the wedding band of my husband be forwarded to me in Johnsonville, Wellington, New Zealand. On 9 September 1944, the Marine Corps inventoried Private Cowart's personal effects. They included the following. One pennant, one prayer book, one pad with stamp, one flashlight, one package of letters, personal, and one money belt, empty. The two rings described and requested by Private Cowart's widow were not found in his personal effects that were returned to the family. This increases the likelihood that these rings, including the distinctive blue and silver butterfly ring, may have been interred with Private Cowart's body. So, as is always the question with our investigations, where is Private Cowart today? The circumstances of Private Cowart's death are known. Based on the witness information, there's no doubt that he was killed in or near LVT number 23 when it became stalled while attempting to climb the seawall on Red Beach 3. The description of his wounds in his official records and multiple witness statements indicate that someone found and identified his body after his death. All of Private Cowart's official records note that he was buried at, quote, an unknown location, end quote, on Tarawa. Private Coward is not a most likely match to any of the unknowns previously buried in the punch bowl. However, he's a possible match to four unknowns previously buried in the punch bowl who do not have sufficient dental remains for comparison to Private Coward's distinctive dental profile. A DNA analysis will be necessary on these four unknowns and DPAA, or the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency has yet to accomplish this task. But, you know, hey, it's only been three years since all of the Tarawa unknowns were exhumed from the Punchbowl Cemetery. And obviously, DPAA is in no hurry, although the daughter that Bunk never met is now in her mid-70s. Cemetery 27 is located just inland from Red Beach 3, and it's possible that Private Cowart's body could have been temporarily buried in the sand near his LVT-23 in compliance with Major Crow's order to, quote, cover him up, end quote. And after the battle lines moved inland off the beach, Private Cowart's body may have been moved to Cemetery 23, but his identity lost. There are still five individuals recovered from Cemetery 23, Correction Cemetery 27, in 2014 that cannot be identified by the DPAA laboratory. By the way, the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency's laboratory average time, average time 
to make an identification after remains are recovered is 11 years. In the final analysis, the overwhelming preponderance of the evidence indicates that Private Cowart was lost on Tarawa on 20 November 1943 after driving LVT number 23 up onto the seawall on Red Beach 3. He was then shot and killed, falling onto the beach sand near his vehicle. If that was the case, and we believe it was, and Private Coward is not one of the recently recovered sets of remains from Tarawa that DPAA has not been able to identify, he currently lies buried in an undiscovered grave on Tarawa to this very day, probably still wearing the butterfly ring given him by his first love and his brand new wedding band. Hopefully, someday, these priceless symbols of love and loss will be returned to the daughter he never knew. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. It never ceases to amaze us here that there are so many untold stories, behind-the-scenes stories, about the brave men and women to whom we owe the freedom that we enjoy today. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes. Please subscribe for free to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts on so that you will always be notified when a new episode of No Home for Heroes is ready for you. We will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action every Saturday just for your listening pleasure. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American service women. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. Be sure to want to miss our next episode on No Home for Heroes with another true story about one of our missing American heroes. Until next time, Be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.